It's a famous interview where, where Richard Williams snaps on the reporter and says, now she done said what she done said with a whole lot of confidence, <laughs> you know? And I saw that in real time. And the look on Venus's face burned, that image burned in my heart because that's how I wanted my daughter to look when I showed up. Mm -hmm. And that interview had really changed my parenting at, at that time. It was like the look on Venus's face, we just watched it. It was like she had a lion and she was so confident and so comfortable that her lion wasn't gonna let anything happen to her, you know? And I fell in love with, with Richard Williams you know, that was 20-something years ago. Never has Kenneth Branagh felt so pure and earnest. Belfast might be Branagh's best work to date, which is saying something when he has quite the resume. That's from E.G. Moreno of Flickering Myth. That's right, our featured film is Belfast. 88% Rotten Tomatoes, 90% from the audience. The Oscar race has begun. Cannot wait to dive into that as far as our new releases are concerned. Also, Clifford the Big Red Dog, yes. Had to go check that out with the kids. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. Obviously, the boys were happy, slushies, all good. Passing, which is a new film on Netflix, also getting some Oscar buzz. I gotta be honest, it was not nearly as high on that as I was on Belfast. And as far as Succession is concerned, we're now halfway through season three. So I wanna kinda of talk about Succession a little bit. And uh, as far as our old is concerned, The Jinx, which is a fabulous six-part documentary. I'd never seen it before. It came out in 2015. I finally binge-watched it, 45 minutes each, so four and a half hours. Incredible documentary about Robert Durst. The best thing I can say about it is I know the ending, and I already thought it was incredible from start to finish. In addition to that, a wild card. Thanks to Ben Lyons, who hooks me up, because listen, there's a press conference for King Richard, the film which is opening on the 19th. It's going to be available on HBO Max and for Warner Brothers. Big Oscar campaign for this. Will Smith might win an Oscar. So we attended a press conference, and so you're going to hear from Will Smith, Venus Williams, Serena Williams. I believe the actress is playing those women as well, and the director of the film. So... Cody, we got a lot of good stuff this week. They all joined the show today. Yeah. As far as the people are concerned, Will Smith on the show today. <laughs> That's the story we're selling. You're starting to treat me a little bit like Levitard. I texted you some Mike Schur quotes from The Hollywood Reporter, and you completely ignored it. Now, <sighs> it's okay if you ignore it. Just, just give me a like, because that way I know you don't care. You're just like, I'm, 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 I'm acknowledging that I got it, but is I Is that what that less. means? The thumbs up is kind of just like, uh, enough with you. Correct. Thank it's you. Acknowledgement. Like, I, I, my phone's not broken, but I don't care. I have no comment to offer. I'm just liking it. Cool. I sent like three. I'm bad. I need to get better at texting. My I mean, this just so you don't take it personal. Sure. Everybody in my life complains about me being a bad texter okay. i'm just uh, i just I, I you know what i do is i mentally respond i like see it and i'm like oh i have a thought on that and then in my mind i think i responded and then like an hour later and then it just and then it turns into five days later and i'm an asshole no no. i think you go by importance of text like if it's something related to taping you're like boom i got you right away but it's something like kind of off the beaten path you don't care although you responded to me texting you during monday night football i'm like dude I, i'm sure you guys have done this in the show didn't realize that matthew stafford is your doppelganger and you wrote back that is why thank you i take that as a compliment matthew stafford i look at him yeah. so that's a good looking guy yeah. i've never gotten that before he's not really a ginger he's I don't not know a what ginger, you're doing but there the but i'll take complexion. it i was like oh, and plus you got a good arm 
I'm like, all right, Matthew Stafford, Chris Cody. That's how we're doing this. Um, the 200th episode of Cinephile is going to come in a couple of weeks. This is great news working for Metal Arc. Not to blast Cadence 13, my former employer, but we never get to take a week off. Like, you're never missing an episode. Go, this is insane. I go, what if I want to just go see my family in Toronto? You're doing it? You're doing two episodes. And I go, God, so I'm doing twice the work. I don't know. It was ridiculous. Joe, Joe would take vacation to Minnesota. He's from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Joe would be grinding at episodes. I'm in Toronto. It's ridiculous. So I asked Cody, I'm like, hey, Thanksgiving. He's like, dude, we're good. Thanksgiving, we're fine. Christmas, we're fine. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. It's a Meadowlark, baby. Oh. By the way, speaking of Cadence, my episode, the latest GM Shuffle, interview with Stevie Van Zant. If you're a Sopranos fan, you're going to want to listen to this. He talks about you know being cast as Silvio, stories from David Chase, Lily Hammer, of course, being mm-hmm. a part of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. So check that out, the GM Shuffle, my NFL podcast with Michael Lombardi. So episode 200 is going to be coming up early December. We're going to record that November 30th. The big guest is James Andrew Miller. You know him, of course, he wrote ESPN, those guys have all the fun, the CAA book, SNL book. He's written a new book about HBO. It's coming out next Tuesday, the 23rd. Cody, guess how many pages it is? 600. 975 pages. <laughs> He's like, I'll do your podcast. You have to read all 975 pages. Like, I'm like, is there going to be a test? Like, this is unbelievable. So I feel like we could tighten it up. <laughs> tighter. Just, I feel like from Knocked Up. He's just like, no, you don't have to lose weight. Just tighter. <laughs> just get it. I'm I'm gonna I'm just empty the tank. If you're wondering what I'm doing during Thanksgiving, I'll be watching. I'll be reading 975 pages of Tinder. We're gonna books. take a week off so Adnan can read the oh, damn yeah. book. What were you gonna say? That you had a comment. You were gonna jump in on something. I was going to say uh, about the Will Smith thing today. Maybe we can address this later on, like when we get to when we're teeing this up. Because I'm interested, like in the Will Smith dynamic as a movie star. Because he's kind of like he was a, he was as good as it gets, and then he's kind of just like he's yeah. tailed off a little bit. Yeah. So I'm just like I just find his career path interesting. I love it. We're gonna do a little Will Smith trajectory. He's got a new book coming out as well. I mean, there's some powerful stuff in there about his dad abusing his mom. So yeah, this is definitely a time to be talking about Will Smith. Before we get into Belfast, one other bit of business to do, and that is. I need your Monsters Ball review. Because when I discussed it on the podcast, you had seen about 30 minutes, and then you finished it after that. So now we need Chris Cody's uh, edition of Monsters Ball. A 20-year anniversary. What are your thoughts? Because now I, well, I, I, I spoiled the part. You make, oh, you make me feel good. Make me feel good. <laughs> like Now you got what that means when Halle Berry An Billy epic Bob. sex scene. Yeah. An epic sex scene. And you know why? Because it felt like it was real life. You know, a lot of times these sex scenes... <laughs> They go from zero to 100. They're like, let's have sex. And then all of a sudden they're having sex. And it's like, how did that happen so fast? This one, you got to, you really lived in the moment in this sex scene where it's like they took like, I, it wasn't just like, oh, they're, they're thinking about sex. Boom, sex. Yeah. It was like, you got to see, and, and it was just, and it was awkward because yeah. that's how sex can be, right? Like we're not all Ron Jeremy. Which is a terribly old, <laughs> terrible. I don't know. No, it's a I didn't good think reference. I'd be our audience will get that. Yeah, our audience is good. But you know what I mean. Yeah. But like, like sex, it's not pretty all the time. Am I right, Adnan? I'll give. And you- I just felt like, yeah. overall though, I didn't think after watching the first half hour that I would be able to find a redeemable quality in Billy Bob Thornton's character. But I did. You know, the, the movie. I was like, this guy is so terrible. There's no way I'll be able to say anything good about him at any point in this movie. But he he kind of turned it around. I I like the movie. Like I know this is how Chris does it around here. I just say I liked it. But um, it's got everything. It's just a good all-around movie. And, and I can tell why Halle Berry won an Oscar. And, she was great. And you like the fact that he eats chocolate ice cream with a plastic spoon, which is a really Billy Bob Thornton thing. He's terrified of metal. I do. I, I love little like stuff like that. Like I, That's one of those things that in the first scene, I'm like, this ice cream thing is going to be a theme with him. Yeah. Like I could just tell the way he ordered it. I'm like, this is not going to be the last time that we're talking about ice cream in this movie. Yeah. It was just, I enjoyed it, man. Great movie. Puff Daddy, Most Def. Make sure you check out Monsters Ball. 20th anniversary. There it is. 
Don't take my word for it. Take Chris Cody's word for it. That sex scene. Want you make me feel good? Uh, now we get to <laughs> the business at hand. Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, a love letter to his youth. The celebrated actor and auteur who has adapted Shakespeare or such underrated directorial efforts is dead again. A Hitchcockian horror film made earlier in his career grew up in Belfast and has now made this love letter to the locale of his youth. The movie has earned raves at film festivals and according to GoldDerby.com, a site for which I used to work, Belfast is the favorite to win Best Picture at next year's Academy Awards. And it's Mm -hmm. easy to see why. It's a family drama, which is about a very specific time and place. The movie follows the adage, to make something universal, you must make it specific. It's a similar blueprint that one of the best movies of last year followed, the drama of Korean immigrants, Minari. The movie opens with an idyllic scene, children playing outside, set to the music of Van Morrison. More on Van in just a second. But then the fairy tale ends as gunfire erupts and tanks arrive. This is the time of IRA violence as religious warfare is fought between Protestants and Catholics. The young boy at the heart of the film, ostensibly a young Brana, is the precocious buddy, played with infectious charm and wit by newcomer Jude Hill. His parents are Jamie Dornan as Pa and Katrina Balfe as Ma. They are well-meaning, but far from well-to-do. In fact, Pa is feeling the squeeze from local gangsters looking to make a cut and have him leave the neighborhood. An Irish family in dire financial straits? Yeah, you've seen this before in Angela's Ashes or Brooklyn. But they aren't poverty-stricken, and it isn't overdone, even when Pa has to work in England and then returns to the family when he can. But he has his sister Moira, who he can pal around with, and then there's Catherine, the object of his affection. But the real heart of the film is his grandparents, played with undeniable warmth by Dame Judi Dench and Sierra Hines. They are kindly and affectionate, just not as quirky as the great-grandma from Minari, who loved American wrestling and had a potty mouth. These grandparents have the twinkle in their eye and dispense homespun wisdom. If it all sounds a little cliched and familiar, well, in some ways it is. But there's also no denying the elite craftsmanship on display, from the luscious black-and-white cinematography to the gorgeous framing of Branagh's camera to the Van Morrison collage of music. This is a beautiful film which has a ton of heart. In a world of bleak-eyed cynicism, Belfast is a reminder of why we go to the films in the first place, why we go to movie theaters. It's escapist fun, but also has a conscience, as the bittersweet ending demonstrates. May we all have the fondness of youth and a showcase with which to tell it. Everlasting love, indeed. We still have six weeks left, but it's indisputable for me. So far, Chris Cody, Belfast is the best picture of the year. Leader in the clubhouse. I mean, that's just, that's a bet's big for you. Like when you hear a, a movie's a leader in the clubhouse for an Oscar, you're like I imagine you, like I get, so, you get so excited. I was, and I was giddy going into it because <laughs> you hear all these rave reviews and you go, okay, I mean, how much of this is just people losing their minds? Not every yeah. film that's getting rave reviews is good. And then all of a sudden you go, wow, I, I can totally see why. You're swept up in the experience. And like I said, it's so much better being in a theater. When you're at home, you have distractions, you're checking your phone, kids, et cetera. Here, it's an immersive experience. And like I said, from start to finish, I appreciate what a gorgeous film it is hour and 40 it's not very long i want a couple thoughts here on van morrison wall-to-wall van morrison on the soundtrack we've seen this before (laughs) in movies you know amy mann was in the soundtrack for magnolia it's all her songs from paul thomas anderson now here's what's amazing it's a great van morrison soundtrack i wouldn't say i know a ton of his music but his three most famous songs not in the movie brown-eyed girl wild night and moon dance let me tell you Wild Night's about as good as it gets. Like, I'd like to learn bass just to do Wild Night. <laughs> like, John Mellencamp does the, the re, uh, revision with the Michelle Indigo Cello. Fantastic. 
But he uses Days Like This, which is a great song. That was in As Good As It Gets. But I always find it interesting when a director says, you know, I'm just going to use the music of this one artist. Having said that, I thought the music was fantastic. Trust me, on the way home, I was listening to Wild Night. I cranked it up. Van Morrison is also a guy who I believe has written a song called End the Lockdown. Noted anti-vaxxer. Just, just, just crushing governments uh. all over the place. So it's, it's a little bit like the 10% tarnished as I'm dancing to the music. I'm like, yeah, this guy is a nut. Like him and Eric Clapton are fucking batshit crazy right now. But hey, I love Van Morrison's music. This guy's great. What I, Van Rogers. Yeah, Van Rogers. What I wanted to ask you this, though. If I was to ask you, could you do an Irish accent? Because you are known for doing impressions in the show, you and Mike Ryan. And I'm watching Hour 40 of Ireland, Belfast, what do you got for me? Hi, laddie. Hi. Lucky charm. Oh, my lucky charms. They're magically delicious. Jeez. <laughs> because the, that... the only thing I could do is, you know, the movie uh, In the Name of the Father, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Pete yeah. Possewith, who is amazing. There's one scene you see in all the Oscar clips is when he looks at Daniel Day-Lewis and goes, don't you be lying to me. I can see the truth staring me in the face. Oh. <laughs> Yours is much better. Mine's too cartoonish. <laughs> yours, is yours is definitely a leprechaun. Mine's just trying to be rooted in actual belief. But listen, I, I think it's a wonderful film. I hope everyone goes and checks it out. Like I said, there's a reason why it's getting all this kind of love right now. Um, as far as the Oscar race is concerned, who knows? Like I said, the next six weeks, a lot of these Oscar movies are going to be big, particularly King Richard. As you mentioned, you're going to hear from Will Smith and company coming up. In the meantime, let's get to a couple other things here. I want to talk about Succession which is one of the best shows on television. My friend Cab was like, trust me, you're going to love this show. It's, it's completely your sense of humor. I said, why am I going to watch a show about a bunch of white people who are rich and elitist? Uh, I mean, I, I just, I'm not going to relate to this show, right? Yeah. I'm like, but, but in reading about it and just the, or, the, origin of the, like the origin story, so to speak, it's like the Murdoch family, but King Lear. I'm all in on King Lear, okay? We're going to have this profane king. He's just, you know, looking at these children who are absolutely useless. He's got these children who are a mess. And we're going to have a complete show of dislikable characters. And somehow, someway, Adam McKay, I think particularly Jesse Armstrong had pulled it off. Adam McKay, of course, we all know, very famous director, uh, collaborated with Will Ferrell, many uh, films. But Jesse Armstrong, the writing on this show is so acidic. Here's a small sampling from season three. At one point when Tom is talking about the fact they're calling him Terminal Tom, and he could be going to prison soon, he laughs and says, pretty soon I'm going to be sucking off ogres for phone cards. Uh, later on, Kieran Culkin, when he criticizes Kendall after what happened, the father says, you tried to kill dad with the son again, didn't you? Do you have a fetish for trying to kill dad? This is the third time you've done it. Later on, after Logan comes back to big health, Shiv is trying to bother me. He goes, can you just fuck off? And she says, well, someone's <laughs> feeling better. Even at one point, Kendall, when he's calling into a conference call, when you have to give your name, you know, this is Chris Cody. He yeah. says, Lord Fuckleroy. And then at the end of the call, when the call does not go out, all you hear is, Lord Fuckleroy has left the meeting. I'm like, <laughs> This show has so many great one-liners. That is just a small sampling of, like I said, it's acidic, it's acerbic, and it's brilliant. And they're halfway through season three right now, five episodes in. Succession is the kind of show where it took a few episodes for them to kind of find their footing. I think by episode three or four, they were good. And episode five, they were flat out flying. As a matter of fact, I think Adam McKay even said one time, episode five, he thinks is one of the best hours of television ever. I think that's where they try to get the coup on Logan. Of season one or this of season? season one. So okay. I think, you know, many shows, it's hard to hit the ground running. Obviously, look at any great show, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, NYPD Blue. I mean, it's hard to just come out of the gate firing. So Succession took two or three episodes, but once they got their footing, season one, I think, was rolling. And season two was even better than season one, start to finish. And now we have season three, which I just think has been solid start to finish. It's a reminder as well what HBO does. And we'll talk to James Andrew Miller about this, but you don't always have to have stars. You know, Brian Cox is a well-known character actor. If you really know your movies, you're like, okay, I saw him in Rob Roy. I saw him in uh, Manhunter. He played Hannibal. 
collector. Super troopers. Super troopers, sure. Like, he's definitely an actor you've seen, but he's never been a leading man. He's the star of the show. But then you have all these other actors, you know, Jeremy Strong and Kieran Culkin and uh, Sarah Snook. Like, these are not well-known actors, but HBO makes stars. When you have a great collaboration like that, it's made these people into household names. You just hit the nail on the head on why I haven't watched this show yet. I started to watch it the first episode, yeah. and I and to your point, you said it starts a little slow, so yeah. it didn't really keep me. Yeah. So I guess I got to go back to it and give it a chance. Mm-hmm. But Jeremy Strong. Do you ever just see an actor that just rubs you the wrong way? Oh my god! It's just like sh- it's just the I, I don't know. There's just I, I I can't even think of anything else he's been in. It's just the, this Jeremy Strong guy. Oh. He just rubs me the wrong We're way. Shared a brain. I remember because the, the first year it getting nominated, it got nominated for a bunch of Emmys, and then it won for writing. And you're right. I remember watching the Emmys, seeing the table of Jeremy Strong's face. I'm like, who's this guy? Like, why, okay. it's just like this guy's carrying. Is the show? it a, does he have a punchable face? Is that is that what I'm doing? Yeah, I think it's like, kind it's of just, a punchable he just, face. He, just, he looks. I don't know. Great. Maybe I've seen him in something else that I subconsciously hate him for. I, I look back. Is, I have to look at his IMDb because no, there's just something about Jeremy Strong. I want you to tweet a cinephile pod. Is there just something about Jeremy Strong, which I hope <laughs> is going to be the podcast title? Because I think Chris has nailed this. I have the same aversion to seeing his face. A punchable face, a smarmy face, <laughs> kind of like just a dick. But then I got to tell you, I watched the show. The guy's phenomenal. He's an unbelievable actor. I hope we get Jeremy Strong on the podcast one day. I'll apologize for judging him on his face because I think he's a huge talent. He's a big Daniel Day-Lewis guy. He was an assistant to Daniel Day-Lewis uh, early on in his career. So I'm like, dude, this guy's very immersive method acting but I love him Jeremy Strong in fact won an Emmy Award for his performance that's how good he was best actor in season 2 of Succession so if you haven't seen it yet trust me I don't want to spoil anything but just think King Lear think Murdoch Family think great great fun it's delicious it's witty and uh, remarkable ensemble cast I like the directing as well it also is the best opening of any show on television right now the opening credits and the music by Nicholas Patel with that piano I mean it, it's rare you know some shows now they just start the show there's not even an opening credits the opening credits of Succession as good as we've ever seen in television history, Nicholas Patel, obviously Adam McKay and Jesse Armstrong doing a phenomenal job. So four Maple Leafs for Belfast, four Maple Leafs for Succession, and now we'll dive into a couple more before we get to uh, our special guest, Will Smith. Passing <laughs> is currently available on Netflix. The alternate title I will give it is Listless. This is not the film that I was looking for. This got rave reviews. Rebecca Hall, who's an excellent actress, um, she debuted this film at Sundance, as a matter of fact, and it got rave reviews, and the story is very provocative. There's no question about that. It's about two women. One is black, one is white, but the one who is white is actually black. She's passing off as white, which is how the story gets its title. So... It's very interesting the way that the whole conceit came about. I believe it's based on a book which was written in the late 1920s. Tessa Thompson, who's always a, a beautiful, strong screen presence, she plays the woman who is black, but you know, and she sees her old friend, Ruth Nega, who is passing off as white. And you have a very jarring scene early on in which Alexander Skarsgård, who is the husband of Ruth Nega, who is passing as white, who tells them both just how much he despises Negroes. It's just like, just hate-filled language of what he says. And you see Tessa Thompson's reaction. She just laughs. What else can you do? This person's spewing such vitriol just to just laugh it off but she wants nothing to do with her friend and yet her friend comes to her and confides in her and says listen you know I, it's not that I regret the fact that you know I'm I'm not black. I mean, I, I like my life. I'm passing off as white. I've got a great husband, but there's something missing in my life. So they start to draw a connection together, these two women. At first, I'm like, is this like a same-sex romance kind of thing, or is she just longing for her? Uh, the good news is you got Bill Camp in the movie. I love Bill Camp. He's so good. He was in The Night Of. He always seemed in these supporting roles. He plays uh, the owner of the one shop where they work at. But ultimately, this is one of those stories where I think the book must be fantastic. I, I'd love to go read the book with which it's based. And again, I did like the fact black and white. Two films in black and white. Two new films. Uh, I love the photography and it's beautifully shot but ultimately there's just not enough story there's not enough meat on the bone which is why if you see passing on netflix i'd recommend all of you just go ahead and keep on passing 
<laughs> I'm going to give Word this play. one two Maple Leafs. All right, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Let's get this out of the way. How much were the tickets? Whole family <laughs> went, okay? My wife came along for the ride this time, so she really wanted to see. She loves Clifford. Who doesn't love Clifford? The guy's a freaking Big Red Dog. $71 to go see Clifford the Big Red Dog. Okay, snacks, $39.75. So there were actually workers taking your money, yeah. and like there were people at this movie theater uh, actually doing On a job. Saturday night, and normally this is, the, this is not my local AMC. This is the one in Ridgewood. Nice little, you know, classic old theater. I was shocked. Normally I go there, Matt, and no one's there. This is a Saturday night, 6.30, and I'm like, oh my God, there's like a line. There's actually like a concession stand. There's actually ticket takers. And you go in, it's a bunch of families watching it, but $110 to see Clifford. Like, I, I mean, think about this. Someone says, what would, like, I'm going to ask you, Cody, what was your Saturday night? I spent 110 bucks to watch Clifford. I mean, that's a, that sounds like a Saturday night to me. Nothing says Saturday night like going to see Clifford the Big Red Dog. I mean, 100 bucks. I mean, that's a whole family. If you would have gone to dinner, you would have spent more. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, just like, it's, it's a night out. You're not going to get that matinee price all the time, Adnan. No, it's a good point by you, Cody. No, listen, Belfast, $8.50. I mean, $8.39 was incredible. So listen, sometimes you get robbed a little bit. I get that. Clifford the Big Red Dog, I'm going to give it two Maple Leafs. Okay. I'm giving passing two Maple Leafs. I'll give Clifford the Big Red Dog two Maple Leafs. I don't know how much Clifford I've read. I'm sure I loved him as a kid. I mean, I just know he's a big red dog. The scene where he becomes a big red dog is amazing. Like this little. What girl. is the story behind so it? Because I just know, I just know it as like you flip through the pages yeah. and you see a big red dog. Right. I don't know what he's about. I don't. Is he a nice dog? Great dog. The little girl adopts a small. Like, it has a reddish hue. And Does he talk? Doesn't talk. She wakes up one day okay. and just sees like a jo- like he's an elephant in her room. She's like, oh my god. And they just starts running all over the place. And the, that would be terrifying. Oh my god! Like, it, was, like, it was a huge <laughs> laugh out loud moment when the guy who's looking after her baby was like, ah! Like it was the best physical contact. What do you do? There's a giant. And he goes, "There's a monster. There's a creature." He doesn't realize it's a dog. He just thinks it's like a fucking Loch Ness monster. Like ah! Call like a fire. What do you call like the fire department? Right. Like who would I call with like a dog, a large dog? He sits like, in the bed, and breaks the bed. He's starving. He just eats like a hundred burgers. And the best thing is, <laughs> imagine playing fetch with this guy. And that's what happens. They go to Central Park. You got one of these guys in one of these like big, big rubber balloon type things. Boom. Clifford's off and running. And then you get the most <laughs> disgusting scene, which of course my kids loved. You see a tree and you go, oh no, oh no, here we go. Just gigantic urine gushing towards the tree. You're like, oh. <laughs> like imagine the dumps that Clifford the big red dog is taking. Like this is a gigantic I mean. dog. You, you do have a cast of charming actors. Tony Hale, who, of course, is amazing. Buster is on Arrested Development. He plays the bad guy in this, also Emmy Award winner for Veep. Uh, he just shows up, enjoyed the paycheck. Russell Peters is in there as well. Russell Peters, very well-known comic from Canada. He's of Indian descent. I have a quick Russell Peters story for you. So there's very rare to Canadian talk shows, right? There's never been, like, you know, really great stuff like Letterman or uh, Leno Colbert, etc. But there was a guy named Mike Bullard, nice enough guy. He started a talk show called Open Mic with Mike Bullard. It's on the Comedy Network in Toronto. So it's me and my Hussein, it's 1996, first year at Ryerson University. We're going to go see Open Mic. And we go there, I'm like, you know, he's doing his jokes, whatever. And the camera cuts us at one point because we're pretty loud laughers. And he had a pretty good line. We were dying of laughter. But then he went with like a, like a risque joke, something about like brown people or terrorists or something like that. Eh. Oh, no. And they cut again to us and we look stone faced. And I'm like, oh my God. And, <laughs> and of course, we had no idea that they were cutting to us. Like, I, I, yeah. I think we must have like some intuition. Like, we recorded the episode, like, hey, maybe we'll get on the show. Because there's maybe like 200 people in the audience. Yeah. Not, they got us rolling in laughter and then just stone faced. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And then after we did meet him, which was amazing. Like, he came 
came out. Because remember Leno used to walk out and shake hands? At yeah. one point, Blue did that. And we're like, hey, we go, hey, we just want to say what's up. We're actually our first-year students at Radio and Television Arts. We'd love to be, you know, broadcasters one day. Once what's up. And he was like, oh, you guys friends of Russell? We're like, what? Because we, we just thought he was being insensitive. Like, oh, because Russell Peters is brown. We must know him. Like, we're, we're families. Like, oh. He goes, when Russell, like, there's a lot of people from Brampton, Mississauga. Like, Russell has a lot of family members. Like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> he I, was, like, defensive. Like, no, yeah. I swear I didn't mean Yeah, I wasn't like, oh, okay, well, what a surprise. The brown guy here is the brown guy. Cousin? I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> we don't all know each other, okay, Correct. man? So afterwards, we meet Russell Peters, who was great. We're like, bro, we're big fans. You're so funny. He's like, thanks so much. Years later, so this is 96. Now it's 02, and I've got my first job on air doing a show called Bollywood Boulevard. I'm working at Omni, and Russell Peters is a guest on another show called Ishtar, which I'm guesting on. And I see him in the hall. I go, hey, man, not sure if you're going to remember me, but six years ago, my friend Hussein and I were watching you do stand-up open mic with Mike Boyd. He's like, ah! And I swear <laughs> to God, he actually remembered. Because I could tell he wasn't bullshit. He was yeah. like, ah, I remember. That's I awesome. Because he said, how's Hussein doing? He said, I remember this. And then Hussein yes. actually became an entertainment reporter. He hung out with Russell Peters in Winnipeg like five years later. And then when I got on ESPN, Hussein somehow ran into Russell Peters. Like, hey, do you know my friend is on ESPN now? Like, remember you met him? And he's like, that's your friend. That's the guy. Yeah, that's the guy. Like, ah. So <laughs> that's awesome. Long way of saying it was awesome to see Russell Peters is in this movie. He has the role as the brown neighbor. He has maybe 12 lines. If I still kept in touch with him, I like how much he made. Probably $10,000 for this. It'd be great. So it was nice to see Russell Peters. I mentioned Tony Hale. Clifford the Big Red Dog. Good little family film, okay? Spend $110 at your local theater and go take your family. <laughs> of six and go enjoy this movie. Two Maple Leafs, Clifford, the big red dog. Now it's time. You are, go ahead. You are single-handedly keeping the movie theater industry. Right. Like I don't know anybody that goes to this. I mean, obviously you have this podcast, right. so you kind of have to, Correct. but it's just like, I, I I commend you for how often you actually go to the theater. I appreciate it, man. Like, it's like when people say, hey, put your money where your mouth is, but what Adnan is definitely doing so. Yeah. Verk is putting a small fortune to work. $110. I mean, shit. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
All right, so as far as our new films are concerned, again, to recap, four Maple Leafs for Belfast. You get four Maple Leafs for Succession, two Maple Leafs for Passing, two Maple Leafs for Clifford the Big Red Dog. Three new films and a series. But we also have an old film as well. No baseball? I'm just cranking out content. A six-part documentary series, 45 minutes apiece. I sat down and watched four and a half hours of The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst. Pretty rare, Cody. When you can watch a documentary, you know the ending. Like, I already know what happened. And I still was riveted from start to finish. If I say to you, Robert Durst, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, types his name into Google, Robert Durst. No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> what, no, no. what I'll do is the Dallin Cup spoiler alert, in case anyone doesn't know the story. Because I know the story. What happened was, Robert Durst is a guy, talk about a guy you don't want to be friends with, okay? Everybody around him dies, okay? That's what's called the jinx, the life and death of Robert Durst. His first wife, who he meets, ends up dying. Like, oh my God, Jesus, horrible story. She just disappears. We just obviously assume that she's dead. He's called in for questioning. Whatever. He skates. But you have homicide detectives and, de- and like investigators are like, no, I'm pretty sure Robert was involved somehow. I don't buy his story. Okay, that's part one. Part two. Oh, there's another woman that died. Robert Durst, after his wife died, dated this girl who was a part of the mob. Her dad was in the mafia. And then she died. Went, hmm, okay. And then the third part of the documentary, there's another person that died who Robert Durst was neighbors with. And you're like, okay, at one point, do you say, is this just incredible bad luck? Or is this Plus, guy... Don't we all know three people that have died? I mean, geez. Uh, we're, all, we're all a jinx. <laughs> we're close to it. <laughs> right. A wife, a girlfriend, a neighbor, it all happens to all of us. I've given plenty of time now for the spoiler alert. So what happens is it builds to this. And I already knew the story. I mean, if you have to be under a rock not to know this. 2015, the story came out, The Jinx, which is an HBO documentary series, in which Robert Durst, and this is the biggest nightmare of anyone like me and Chris Cody, getting caught with a hot mic. <laughs> Jeez. And I didn't know the exact details. All I knew, like, if, if you asked me, like, literally a week ago before I rewatched this, what happened to Robert Durst? I'm like, I know there was a documentary about him. He was accused of killing people, and he got caught with a hot mic. I'm like, what happened to the hot mic? I'm like, I, I know he, whatever, something, something happened that he admitted he did it. So now when I actually watch the whole thing, I'm like, oh my God. So like I said, first episode, wife dies. Second episode, girlfriend dies. Third episode, neighbor dies. Fourth episode, they start to get evidence, right? Fifth episode, just the whole family dynamics of this guy. Where did he come from? Ludicrously rich, like incredibly rich, but ostracized from his family. Brother wants nothing to do with him. New York, real estate, et cetera. So just like, obviously a creepy, weird, alienated guy. And then you get to episode six, which is amazing, because now Andrew Jarecki, who is an incredible documentarian, he's one of my favorite documentaries of all time. Mark Simon, gotta be a fan. Capturing the Freedmans. All right, best documentaries ever. Crumb is my favorite. I love Hoop Dreams. We're trying mm-hmm. to get Steve James, by the way, on Cinephile. Maybe it'll happen. But uh, Capturing the Freedmans is incredible. And this is the same director, Andrew Jarecki. Now, in that documentary, you don't see him. This time, though, you actually see him talking to the documentarians. And what happens is they get Robert Durst's handwriting and they also have the writing of one of the body parts that was given to the coroner so it says cadaver and beverly mm-hmm. in beverly hills is misspelt and they also have a package that roberters had written in which beverly was also misspelled b-e-v-e-r-l-e-y and that moment cody like holy shit so the guy who submitted a body part wrote this beverly hills cadaver and now you have it's like and like, he takes it to a handwriting specialist. Like, what do you think? He's like, yeah, the B's pretty close. The V's close. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's all, they're also both misspelled. So they actually show it to, to Robert Durst's old attorney. This is like he, he charged the case 10 years ago. Hey, we have some new evidence to show you. What do you think about the way that these two are written? And the, the look of the attorney just kind of stares like, like he does not want to say, okay, I, I defended a guilty man. He's kind of just like, 
you know, it's interesting. I, I, I can see some similarities, but I can see some differences. Like, I can't say it's for not, sure. It's, it's not like there's an so X interest- in the middle of the word. Like, you know what I mean? Like an odd misspelling. Right. It seems like a, pretty, a couple of people could misspell it that way. Right. It's true. Beverly, after you, after you know someone named Beverly, like, okay. And it's like, but it's a jarring moment because this is, this is how it ends episode five. And there's six episodes total. Like, oh, my God. So that sixth episode, he's like, I've got to get Durst back. So you see him calling him like, hey, Robert, can we do one more interview? We just want to do some other stuff. And he's like, oh, hey, Andrew, I'm actually oh. going away. Going to like France this oh, week. No. Like, oh my God. He's on them. He knows. And then he's sitting there with his collaborators. Like, I think we're done. Like, I don't think he's coming back. Like, really? Like, I don't, I don't think he's, the way this guy works, he's like, I've interviewed him so many times now. He's like, I think he's pretty smart. Like, I think he kind of, he senses this, right? Like he's, he may <laughs> kill people and he knows when someone's on his trail. Like, that's it. So eventually, miraculously, Robert Durst is actually arrested himself for shoplifting. Like, the guy's a moron. Like, for this guy who's a genius, he's also an idiot. So then Andrew ends up crawling him back. And they have this moment where he's interviewing him. And, you know, he says to him, and he's, he's kind of, and he's, and he's telling the camera, like, I'm nervous. Like, I don't, like, I've known that this guy is dangerous, and I don't know how to react with him, and i got to be on my feet. And like, we'll just see how this goes. So he's going through it very pensively. It was amazing. He's sitting side by side. He goes, hey, well, I just want to show you this stuff here. And by the way, he soft shoes it earlier. Like, hey, look at this picture of you and your ex-wife. And Robert Turst is like, oh, my God. It's yeah. like a 70 year old guy. He's, you know, he's out of it. He's like, oh, he's, that's a beautiful picture. Can I keep this picture? He's like, yeah, you want that picture? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Here's another picture of you and your wife, girlfriend. I found. Oh, by the way, look at this handwriting. And it's a long pause. When Robert Turst looks at it, he's kind of like, it's, it's misspelled. He's like, yeah. He goes, the Beverly's missed, but this is something that you wrote. And this is the note that was given with the cadaver. <laughs> Jesus. Just, like, and then I'm like, oh my God, what is going to happen? Is Robert Durst going to kill him? He pulled a gun. Like, okay. And he just stares at He just keeps staring at it. It's kind of like, yeah, that is odd. <laughs> and he's like, dude. And, and, and like, what is the interest? Did he ask a follow up? Did like, you write the note? You? Yeah. Like, what's the follow up? He's just like, because the question is, what do you think? He's like, the guy misspelled it. Yeah. But like, is that, he goes, well, I didn't write the note. He goes, okay. So that, that was not your running. He's like, no. I'm like, oh okay. man. My, my skin Give is crawling. Like, and I'm not even watching it. Oh, and then, and then like, you know, they wrap up with something else. He's like, okay, we're good. He's like, all right, sure. He goes, all right. Is it good to see you again? He's like, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. He's like, I'm just gonna use the restroom. I'm like, okay. I'm like, oh my God, this is how he gets caught in the hot mic. So it's just a shot of the room and they've all left now. And it's just, you know, yeah. the lights are being taken down. And all you hear is the hot, him, him in the bathroom. Thankfully, you don't hear him urinating. And all you hear him is saying, oh, man. Well, they, they caught you <laughs> To now. himself? And he said, what? Oh. Yeah. He's money. And he goes, and he goes, what have I done? Pause. He goes, killed them all, of course. And that is the last thing you hear in this dog show. I'm like, oh, my God. Now I know Jeez. why this was such a phenomenon six years that ago. wild. Like, so, the, and this is completely real? Like, we, like. Like that is like oh, legit. Like that, that just got caught. Like like he wasn't doing that. Like that's just that seems like something from a movie. The way a killer would get caught. Oh, it is. It, right, right. It was like too true to be true. Like they they looked at the handwriting, show it to him. He just goes, "It's misspelled." I'm like yeah, but anything else you know? <laughs> oh like it, God. Kind of looks similar, and he's like, oh, "I didn't write that note." I'm like all right, I gotta check that. that. And then while taking a piss. I mean, literally, just go to episode six on HBO Max and watch. It's a 36-minute documentary, the last episode. Watch the last six minutes, and you'll see the oh. scene that I'm talking about. You'll be like, oh, my God. That's awesome. This is ins- the amount of tension is insane. And that's when he gets burned, getting caught with a hot mic. Imagine Levitard says something stupid, and he goes to the bathroom, and he gets caught with a hot mic. Oh, my God, Dan, you can't say that. Everybody can hear you. They're all listening I, right now. I can't now. tell no, you no. how often. Not that, like, you know, we're talking about things. But, like, you know, sometimes we're talking about things, and it's just like, there's a lot of mics in here. Like, we're always just like, maybe we should walk. If we're going to talk about this, not that we're, you know, it's just. It, it's so no, weird no, I, having I, I, a conversation even if you're not talking about anything salacious just something that you wouldn't want other right. people to hear it's just like man there's just mics staring at me right now i don't know that they're not on 
Oh, pri- just a, there's a private conversation. Yeah. You don't want it to be public. Simple as that. You're right. It doesn't have to be anything bad. I remember years ago, like I cursed off air, and the director said to me, like, "Hey, just be careful. Like, even yeah. in a commercial break, like your microphone's always on. Like, somebody might hear you, and they could put that out there. I'm like, hey, you're right. So like, when it, when the microphone is on, don't swear, don't say anything offensive. Like, just yeah. think that you're always on. Especially if you've Robert killed Durst people. Did not take that. Logic. Especially if you've killed people. <laughs> that should be noted. The jinx. The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst, a six-part documentary series. It's currently available on HBO. Six years later, I finally saw it. If you didn't want to get spoiled, fine. But like I said to Cody, you can really Google it. I believe the latest is this. I think Robert Durst is now facing trial, and Andrew Jarecki, the documentarian, is going to be called as a witness. I think they were going to reopen the cases, and then COVID happened. But Why would he agree to do interviews? Why would he agree to do that documentary in the first place? I mean, that that makes me feel like he's innocent, because he can't be that dumb. It's like, oh, you know, I did these things. I got away with it. Now I'm going to do an interview about it for a documentary. <laughs> You're right. And I, and I think it must be, listen, I'm just guessing what killers are like. He wants Obviously the attention. He's like, but yeah. probably they just think they're so, he loves the attention and they think they're so smart. Because what Jarecki did is he did a movie called All Good Things, which stars Ryan Gosling, which I haven't seen. And that's about the Robert Durst case. So that movie came out, which the documentary shows, and Robert Durst apparently saw it and then called Andrew Jarecki and goes, hey, I really liked your movie. By the way, I'm Robert Durst. <laughs> And Jarecki was yeah. like, oh, shit. Um, you want to chat sometime? He's like, yeah, great. Let's have a coffee. And then it was like, oh, can I film you and ask you a few things again? Whatever you want. So to your yeah. point, why would you even agree? Like, that's the ego. That's the need for attention. And, oh, this guy made a movie about me? He's probably a good dude. I can fool him, too. But just hearing the hot mic, oh. you've been caught. Goosebumps. What have I done? Killed them all, of course. I'm like, holy It's almost shit. like he's a schizo. And he's the just like, talking totally. to himself. Like, what'd you do? You killed them all. It's like, geez, that's oh. so creepy. Oh, well, well here's, the, here's what's so brilliant about the filmmaking. Episode four ends, and they're, they're doing their interview. And at the one point, Jarecki says, do you want to take a break? He's like, yeah. And they keep filming. Like, Why are they still showing this? He's having a glass of water. And he's mumbling something to himself. He's like, you came in that day. And then he was talking to you. And, blah, blah, blah. and the lawyer walks over. Robert just goes, they can hear you. And he goes, what? He goes, and the subtitle reads, your microphone's always on. They can hear you. He's like, oh, Okay. <laughs> So you're watching it, I go, oh my God, this guy, this is just his life. Right? There's people you know yeah. that talk to themselves. Robert Durst talks to himself. He was warned by the lawyer, episode four and episode six. Oof. He completely admits that's cool. killing people. Check out well, the Murder's gym. not cool, but that sounds cool, that story. <laughs> All right, King Richard. On the next episode of Cinephile, I'm going to review King Richard because it's opening in theaters November 19th and on HBO Max. But how about this for a little tease? Let's hear from Will Smith, Venus Williams, Serena Williams, the actors playing those girls and the director of the film. King Richard, right now. We are going to be having a mix of questions that you all have submitted. And I'm going to go ahead and start this with the two ladies that really start this movie. Mm-hmm. Venus and Serena, I just have to ask you, what emotions are you feeling seeing your family's journey being told in a motion picture with your father being played by none other than Will Smith? Mm-hmm. And Venus, I'll start with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at Serena, how do you feel? <laughs> but I, I think it's super emotional. And I've, I've seen the trailer, I've read the script, and every time I watch it, my eyes are just watering. I think it was amazing to see the, the family atmosphere on the set and how much Demi and Sanaya like really acted like Serena and I, even when the cameras weren't rolling, like holding hands, and it was so sweet. Yeah. Serena, what about you? Yeah, it's honestly, 
no word describes it better than just surreal, you know, just to see these incredible actresses and everyone behind it, just putting this all together and about our dad's journey. But because of myself and my sister, it, it really is like, wow, really? Okay, is this like, is, are we, do, are we really something, you know, kind of thing? So um, it really, it really is super surreal for me. And, um, and then to have Will play this role as my father and the way he just, embodied Richard Williams it just was it just took the whole film to a, a whole new level it's, it's so emotional it's well done and it's it's a brilliant piece of work I, I will say audience haven't gotten a chance to see it but the critics are already raving about everything that you guys just said and will I mean I just have to ask you what was it about playing you know Richard Williams that really appealed to you because you fought a long road to bring this to folks yeah. you know it's really we were we were talking earlier and there, there was an interview that Venus was doing. How old were you in that interview? Like 13, 13, yeah. 13, 13 or 14. Yeah. And it's a famous interview where, where Richard Williams snaps on the reporter and says, you know, now she done said what she done said with a whole lot of confidence, <laughs> you know. And I saw that in real time. And the look on Venus's face burned, that image burned in my heart because that's how I wanted my daughter to look when I showed up. Mm -hmm. And that interview had really changed my parenting at, at that time. It was like the look on Venus's face, we just watched it. And it was like she had a lion and she was so confident and so comfortable that her lion wasn't gonna let anything happen to her, you know? And I fell in love with, with Richard Williams you know, that was 20-something years ago. Wow. And when the, the opportunity to be a part of this came up, that was the first thing that I remembered. I knew mm. I wanted to show a father protecting a daughter like that to the world. Wow, that scene is beautifully fictionalized and redone in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it is a moment that, you know, always brings audiences to clap. I've seen it twice now and everyone claps in that moment. Mm -hmm. But Sanaya and Demi, the other dynamic that I just thought when I was watching it for the first time is these young, incredible, talented actors were you know, given the task of I have to do Venus and Serena. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of speaking to these ladies today made me like shake a little bit. So <laughs> I'm just curious what, uh, what those conversations were for you and, and how you brought authenticity of them as not just players, but sisters. And Demi, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, to, to bring everything together and make it feel as real as possible. I think Sanai and I just did a lot of research. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really important to us that everything we did was real, you know, because this is not our story, this is theirs. And so, um, yeah, research the, the internet. We had Miss Isha there every step of the way. And um, yeah. What were your first conversations? Did you did you get on a Zoom and say, I just want to say this? I'm just curious. With first, your first conversations with your counterpart, like the first time you got to speak, <laughs> like uh, again. Yeah. The first time that I got to speak with Serena was when her and Venus surprised us on set. Mm -hmm. um, that was such a fun day. <laughs> so, so much fun. Um, you know, but when we spoke, they kind of spoke to us about everything but tennis, which was actually kind of funny. We spoke about their life and, and their childhood and about 
the people that they dated growing up. Well, we wanted to make sure we were portrayed in the right way. <laughs> <laughs> the script took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it was just a cool conversation, and we just got to speak to them as people. You know, Serena and Venus, you guys are two women that I've looked up to my entire life. Um, and so it was really fun to get to know that side of you. Uh, Will, I'll bring it to you. But this is not the first time you played a father on screen, but it, it has to feel a little different. But as an actor, as a father, sort of taking on to this, you can't help but maybe compare it to your own experiences in yeah. fatherhoods, similarities and dis uh, differences. Um, what did you do when you sort of made that calculus looking at Richard's parenting style and sort of comparing it to your journey through fatherhood? You know, the one, one of the first things that was um, interesting in our in our first meeting, we sat down, and Venus said, "You know, it's almost like they brainwashed us." It was like because you said it was our it was like our punishment was that we couldn't play tennis, right? Because they so they never had to push. It was like that there, there was a Jedi mind trick that <laughs> it was like it wasn't the standard thing that you see of a parent pushing and driving a child there was that but it was augmenting and throwing uh, fuel on a fire that they had it was a fire coming from inside of Venus and and Serena and you know, any for me as an actor, when I take a role, also I'm, I'm taking it to explore something. I'm taking it to learn something, and that was a new parenting idea for me of aligning with your children versus directing your children. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was a very, very different concept and uh, approach that was magical in the Williams family. That 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 the rules were set, but the, the, the rules that were established were divine rules, right? So faith was at the center, and then there was a, it was a collective journey we were going on. It wasn't that as a parent, I know and you don't, so you're gonna do what I say because I'm right and you're little, mm. right? And it was a very different approach that, that was, you know, somewhat eye-opening for me. My father was military, so it was very different. My, like, when I was growing up, the, the kids don't, you don't get a vote, mm -hmm. right? So you do what's laid out for you, do what's established for you, and they, you know, some benefits to the, that mindset also, but this was a very different thing. Yeah, I grew up in a military household too. It was yes ma'am, no ma'am, and the idea of agency, I don't think I got until my 20s. Right. Probably not even still. Um, Keep it real. <laughs> it was true. Uh, what the screenplay was not, uh, Isha, I am sure you saw in very many previous iterations and attempts, mm -hmm. and and being, I think, a lot of folks' first contact when they're like, oh, I, I think I can do this. I, I know that your journey through to finding this story and knowing this one would be the right with the right group of filmmakers makers was an interesting one and so I would be so interested to hear about that and not so much about those bad screenplays though. <laughs> really no bad screenplays. Um, it really it was it was it was definitely a journey. It was persistence of, of definitely Tim and Trevor and wanting to tell the story 
of my dad and not have it be one of vilification, mm. but one of just getting people to understand, you know, who he was as a father and like what he wanted to do and how the family came together to be able to do that. And when it was understood that that was what, 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 what we wanted to happen, um, it became a lot it became a lot easier to get behind it. And so then was the process of actually going to my family. You know, <laughs> after uh, uh, reading the script, I was like, you know, this is, there's this opportunity, there's a script, it's a little raw. Um, there's some things that we can definitely finesse and, and get right, um, but this person is behind it and, and we have a lot of respect for Will. And um, he wants to get it right, won't do it unless, you know, we're really bought into the idea of what this could be and, and, and doing it right and being authentically ourselves. And that took some time, <laughs> um, you know, because that vilification aspect is still out there. And we and, and being able to trust that this group of people, this filmmaker and, and this, this production team and everyone would do this the right way when oftentimes in sport obviously you get one chance at it mm. you get one one time to step up to the line and serve that ball for that point so to to want to make sure it was right and and the story was told right and it was fair and it was honest and it, it really displayed the integrity that we've always tried to have as a family um it it took some time mm. to get there uh, with my family because there was a little bit of distrust as you can imagine yeah. you know um, being in the public eye for as long as they have Venus I think the first article was like when she was 10 yeah. eight, 8 or 9 eight, maybe 9 years old yeah um, in the Compton Gazette uh, <laughs> so, so like to, to be written about since that age you know and, and not maybe have people understand um what that family dynamic was like. Oftentimes, Lindre and I have people asking us, are they really, are you guys really close? Do they fight, you know, <laughs> off the court? You know, so years and years of that, mm. you build up a little bit of distrust. So um, we got there because I did trust that as long as there was gonna be a footprint there every day, and I might've gotten on a couple people's nerves, <laughs> on set but it was important for me because I had a responsibility to my family mm. to make sure that the story was told right. Well, there, there was only one day on set where Isha just had to put her foot down. <laughs> you, guys, you remember? You remember? Oh my gosh. What happened? So that, you remember the day when you guys were coming out and it was the your mode and Oh, oh, yes. oh so my god. So there, there was doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like you're molded, you're no. corroded, yeah. your booty, booty got, got exploded. Like, oh, wow. that's what we no, no, out. no. That's, and that's, she came up, she was like, just, all right, all right, hold up. She, and she, was like, she was like, your booty can't got exploded. <laughs> <laughs> and we it's were like, got all exploded. Right. Your moldy, corroded, your booty exploded. It just exploded. Your booty can't got exploded. Please, come on. Details. The details. details. That the details is what really wins important. Oscars. So I appreciate you, sis, when we take home all these trophies. Like, hey, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Miss Isha's very serious. <laughs> <laughs> 
Take the guy out. Well, I appreciate that. Jokes aside, Venus and Serena, I'm sure you guys are grateful for that. Those little details. That's what you're going to, I think, enjoy more so than the story. Like, you know, the way that the table was set up, the way the beds were set up. That's the thing I think that's the personal attachment to it. But as this movie goes um, around the globe, you two have already inspired an entire generation of women, black, young black women especially. What is one thing you hope they, they see from this film? Because we all know uh, media travels farther than any sport figure ever could. You know, people remember the movie before they remember the book and so on. And so I'm just curious what you hope um, young girls watching this take from this story. And Venus, I'll start with you. Yeah, anything is possible. And to always believe in yourself, never doubt. Doubt does nothing for you, but you, the same time you're doubting is the same time you can spend believing in you and putting the work in so that way you do believe and build confidence. And as a family, you can achieve anything. And that's what I, I really loved about this is that it's a family film. And, and like Will said, or, or if you don't even understand tennis, you understand family. Mm -hmm. And that with a family, you can do anything. Some of us are born with that. Some of us have to create those families, but mm -hmm. surrounding yourself with family can take you higher. I just want to say one uh, for uh, Sanaya and Demi had to, to learn how to play tennis like two of the greatest tennis players of all time. So I, you know, when, when I had to try to learn how to play Muhammad Ali, I, I know how daunting that was. There are professional fighters who can't move and play like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. There are professional tennis players that can't you know, play like Venus and Serena. And, you know, I was watching uh, Sanaya, and I just want the world to know, not only did Sanaya learn how to play like Venus, Sanaya is left-handed. She learned how to play with her off hand. Wow. She learned how to play like one of the greatest tennis players of all time with her off hand. I was Incredible. like, I was you know, and you know, just, just, you know, when I, when I step on a, 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 a set like that, I, I take it as, as, it's my responsibility. It's, it's my family, it's, it's my crew, it's my people, it's my, you know, it, it's my place. And, you know, it was, it was just such a beautiful thing to watch, you know. Uh, with Ingenue, the, the scene in the kitchen, we didn't, we didn't really even find that till it was like the day before when we were starting to get that, and Ingenue was so confident, and it was, it was, mm, no, nah, little, sorry, a mm, little more, mm, not quite, a little more, just a little more. <laughs> and it was really like day of when she was like, you know, that's it, that's it. And I just loved that push, I loved being able to serve that. I love being able to be a, a, a you know, part of, of creating in that way and that push and that tenacity and for, for the authenticity and everybody in this group um, 
you know, and to, to say to the two, to the three of you, everybody in, in this group is um, amazed and in awe of your family. And it was a beautiful honor and an absolute pleasure mm. to bring this uh, depiction to the world. Mm. So uh, thank you for your suffering. <laughs> <and> <laughs> thank you for your hard work and mm. thank you for your inspiration to the world. I mean, how good was that, Cody? If we really wanted to fake things, we would have had like me actually asking a question or two, but you did a fantastic job putting together the best of that press conference. I feel like, listen, I was already excited for the movie. Now I'm really pumped up. Is is this going to bring Will Smith back? We kind of touched on it earlier. Like, what happened to Will Smith? Real quick, we don't have to spend a lot of time here. Just, like, how do you evaluate his career? Because he had that stretch of just, like, dominating the movie. He was he was the guy, and now he's kind of like, you know, concussion. And just, yeah, concussion like, all, disaster. Like, Boring movie. Yeah. Nobody cared. I love Albert yeah. Brooks. Albert Brooks is in concussion, which, as you know, on Curb, he was saying, oh, concussion yeah. is currently on Netflix. But, yeah, this is a guy, listen, very famous popular rapper, no question about that. Fresh Prince, fantastic comedy, you know, sitcom star. Segways towards movies, all right, Six Degrees of Separation. Ali, fantastic, Oscar-nominated. Big, bunch big of good movies. comedies. Sure, bunch of good comedies, obviously Hitch. You get your acts with oh. Hancock. But I think you're right. There was kind of a downspin. Like, you know, it gets hard. You're in your 40s. How do you still stay relevant? How do you stay this big movie star? So... It's interesting. It's, how- like I'm honestly, I'm honestly surprised that he got this gig. Like it's almost gotten to the point where it's like you put Will Smith as a, he tried to do the Marvel thing a few yeah, years back. So it's like I just I'm like I'm happy for him. I'm like this seems like a role that fits him. Like I just I want him to be Will Smith again, and I'm hoping maybe this role will do that. Yeah, he's an incredibly likable guy. Everyone always says we you know media speak to him or fans like oh he's a great dude. Jada Pinkett Smith, the marriage's been a little bit up and down and stuff. Like I guess hmm. he's got a new book coming out, so hopefully check out the book. But I, I'm with you. Well, Will Smith may not be as, as uh, star-studded as he once was, but I'm telling you, rave reviews for the movie. I cannot wait to review it next time on Cinephile. 200th episode is coming up. We will also hear, just like, you know, like uh, ghosts of, uh, I was going to say ghosts of girlfriend's past. It's, it's like, you know, the ghosts of the past, present, the future. We will have previous members of the Cinephile family making appearances mm. on our 200th episode. James Andrew Miller, author of the HBO book. Maybe some people from the Lebertard show. Cody, this yeah. is going to be a huge show. Yeah, don't let's 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 let's, let's leave it a little like let's just tease the people. Let's right. not give them too much. We don't know we don't know exactly what's gonna happen, but it's gonna be awesome. Thank you. It's for all gonna your be special. <laughs> going to be special. Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review, uh, and I'll see you at the movies. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.